Welcome to Between Axles, your not so serious car podcast. My name is Peter, and this is season two, episode one. And we're joined here by our co host from Melbourne, Jono. How are you, Jono? Hey, Peter. Yeah, not too bad. It's been a while. It has been a while, a couple of weeks. Good holiday? Yeah, it was good. It was, um, it's pretty relaxing. We're all out and about now, so it's nice. <laughs> yeah, you guys were stuck like hamsters in Melbourne for all. Pretty much. Almost the whole year. And we're joined by Luan in Auckland. How are you? Hello, Happy New Year. Yeah, doing well, thanks. Happy New Year. Did you guys go on any alpha road trips? Uh, I took my AMG to um, about a thousand kilometer road trip up north. Um, so that was about a week, which was really nice. Oh, nice. Okay. You want to uh, go back to the origins of your Rolls Royce, is it? <laughs> well, actually, apparently that's where my AMG came from um, once upon a time as well. Whangare? Um, uh, it was owned by someone in Wellington, brand new, and then it was yep. uh, owned by someone in Whangare who had a helicopter company, apparently. <laughs> well, was it a good thousand kilometers? Did you have a good time? Yeah, it was great. Um, and the car went really well, didn't have any issues at all, so that was quite nice. Um, yeah, it was, it was really good. Can't complain. Weather was a little bit cold for some reason, but apart from that, it was, it was really, really good. Hey, actually, I forgot to ask Jono, uh, how's the Datsun coming along? It, it, it's not. <laughs> it's still been, the same? Yeah, we, we haven't touched it uh, much over, over summer. It's, yeah, we, we've sort of taken a break a bit. Right. Um, and I've been going away on little road trips and things with the Volkswagen, so, um, but, you know, once summer's over, we'll probably get yeah, stuck into it. Uh, hopefully, we can get more updates from you later in the year. But today, we're going to talk about car detailing. And to start us off, we actually have a great guest here today. His name is Grant, and he's from Final Touch in Albany, Auckland. Um, and I'm actually an, on location in Albany, and I'm with Grant right now. Thanks for joining us, Grant. Hey, uh, absolute pleasure and looking forward to the opportunity. We'll get straight into it, Grant. Um, Quick intro about yourself. Let's go start with a few cars that you've driven. We'll start with something like that. Um, When it comes to pretty much driving, look, I've I've driven just about anything and everything under the sun. I had a cashier mate ask me the other day how I'm not doing automotive journalism. Uh, The sketchiest thing I've probably driven, a Reliant Robin. That is the most, and I had I, I lost a bet where I had to detail that at Northshore Vintage Car Club in socks and sandals and a cheese cutter. So, <laughs> and I had to drive it there, and I don't know how the owner does it, but the owner's actually driven that thing over the Harbour Bridge, not yeah, on a windy day. It yeah. is the most <laughs> terrifying thing when you have basically got a vest, a three wheel Vespa with a with a plastic body on it, slow enough to take the corner to where the North Shore Vintage Car Club is sure. in. So I actually had to go around the roundabout at basically walking pace <laughs> so this thing didn't tip. Yeah. It is the most hilarious, sketchiest, craziest thing I've ever driven. That's my <clears throat> automotive stuff. Um, I've been detailing cars professionally since, what, 1999? Sure. I started out working for um, a local dealership. Uh, over in Pamir, uh, which was Enterprise Nissan, um, and then moved to Porsche later that year in 99 after my dad passed away. Um, I won't go too much into that, but um, my brother managed to get me an interview at Continental Cars. We were there for a while and then 
you know, 20 plus years later, here I am, sort of been with Final Touch now for coming up nearly 15 years. Sure. So just about anything automotive, two wheels, four wheels, six, eight. Yeah, the only thing I probably haven't done that I would, that hopefully we will get into um, maybe this year or next year is aircraft. Okay. Doing, doing helicopters and things like that would be sure. quite nice. You had a drink, uh, I'm sure you do. Oh, and I think, I think, well, you're going to love this one, is if I won 40 or $50 million tomorrow, I would probably go out and purchase a 190E Evo 2. Yeah, just, just Mercedes, yeah. Mercedes, <laughs> yeah, yeah, boy. I, I, I'm, I'm a big sucker for the old Group A stuff in any kind of '90s touring cars. You know, growing up watching right. Volvo 850 T5R estates on two wheels right. around Silverstone. Yeah. Um, you know, or Takuini flipping over a, a 155 numerous times. Sure. Um, I've seen, I've seen those videos. Oh, we talked about Alphas. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Um, but I, I, I think that car's fantastic. There's only a few of them left in the world, I think. Um, not very many of them at all. I saw one go for auction, I probably want to say, about six years ago now. Um, it sold for just under £400,000 through Silverstone. Mm. And that was probably the best in the world. I think it had less than 16,000 Ks on the actual clock. Absolutely stunning car. And just just the sound that like people go on about the sound of the E30 M3 and how that was but mm. you know when you when you see the slide throttle and stuff work on a, on a 190e and I've had the pleasure of working on the, the first generations um, for a customer that wanted to restore one so um, that was pretty cool but uh, the Evo 2s the sound they made was just almost completely different in, in, to, to my ears to a you know an E30 M3. And I'm not I'm not rubbishing E30 M3s because I'd certainly have like a you know a sporty Evo two or a, or an sure. Evo three if I could. Yeah. Um, next to an RS five hundred. Um, yep. I'd, I'd love the whole Group A sort of you know trilogy <laughs> and chucking a Nismo thirty two. Yeah. You know, at the same time, just just for that Group A kick. You know, yeah. I've, I've definitely got that dream garage here for sure. It's not very cliche, which is actually refreshing. No, I want this Lamborghini, I want this Ferrari, blah, 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 blah. It's uh, everyone else's dream car. But, yeah. uh, look, I, 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 for me, it had to be cars that were laughed at first and then they went out, you know, you take, an, you take a Sierra, for example, mm. just look like you used to call them the jelly mold, a bit like a Saab. Um, they went out on the racetrack and absolutely demolished everything. Yeah, you know, and it's so hard to get now. It's yeah, next to impossible. Yeah, like even getting a sapphire or something like that is extremely yep. hard to do. So yeah. yeah, anything cool like that, whether it be you know Japanese, American, European. I know a lot of guys in the states get excited about. Um, I think it was the Ford Taurus um, SHO. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah sure. that, with that V six in it. Um, cool motor, but just it could be so much. It, it, it's not a future classic. I don't think it's twenty years from now. It's not going to hold. Physically, look, <laughs> look this, it's because of what it did that would be the only reason. If that motor was in something else, you know, whatever it may have been, look, I, I honestly don't think if you, you know, in, in 10, 15 years' time, that people are going to be going out and going, right, I want a 350Z. Mm. ST, so just, just a standard one that's not a track edition, that's automatic, and it's just got caramel colored interior or something like that and it's just the worst color you can give them in yeah um i don't think no nah, stuff like that to me is not not going to be 
classic, but if you were to get last gen 350Z, so what, 07, 08, mm. um, HR motor, Kiwi new, black on black, six speed manual, you know, track with Brembo's and stuff. Um, I think a car like that, it's not going to be GTR money. It's going to be something that's going to be more than just, you know, you're probably going to pay 20 grand more than what you would do for, say, a standard one or something. Like yeah. That because they are. They're appreciating. They are, yeah, well, they're part of that generation that is the last generation of analog cars in my eyes, even though they do have electronic throttles. But, you know, you think of great cars like E46 M3, you know, look at how that's gone. Um, possibly, you know, E90, E92 M3. Yeah. Um, people want high revving manual four liters, stuff like that. You know, look at the, uh, what was the early 2000s M5? What was that E39? Uh, those at the moment are yeah. just gone through the roof. Had a yard on Wairau Road, okay, um, yep. where Isuzu is now. I remember seeing about six back then. Mm-hmm. That was a long time ago. I'm talking probably sort of 12, 13 years ago. Yeah. Um, yeah, there, there were a few around then, and I remember when they were about 40 grand, 50 grand back then. Right. So they're probably still that now and more. Yeah. So, but yeah, yeah I wouldn't travel on too much. Cool. Otherwise, no, that was, that was fascinating. Yeah. Um, Obviously, we uh, we're grateful that you open up the Final Touch yep. office. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I guess we should talk about Final Touch. Yeah, what definitely. do you exactly do from the services that you provide, um, and also let a bit of the pricing for our local cu- our local listeners as well? Like, what yep. are we looking at? Uh, could you mm-hmm. give us a bit of a history and also yeah, sure. what you guys um, do? My boss Gordon uh, Gordon McCurchis. You know, it's been his family business since 1993. Mm-hmm. Um, and crazy thing is, at one point when I first moved here to 93, him and I did live in the same street. Oh, yeah. <laughs> literally, yeah, good. Yeah. literally about less than 50 meters apart. Wow. Yeah. It was crazy, um, which was quite funny. But it's been his family business for that. I think he's sort of taken over the you know, the, the full, full side of the business for the last sort of few, few years, I think, maybe longer. But um, the company's main focus for a long period of time was stone chip repairs mm-hmm. so uh, a lot of our work was wholesale you know dealerships and so forth you know i think um we did at one point we were doing schofields when they were sort of you know the full schofield holding the new market mm-hmm. we were doing their work every tuesday for about 20 22 23 years so that just gives you an idea of how long the relationships have been. The whole point of the stone chip repair process was to help um, dealerships, you know, not taking away money from paint shops, but some dealers didn't have a lot of money to blow out the entire front end. So when I say blow out, I'm talking, you know, respray a bonnet, bumper, and blend over the top of the fronts of the guards, mm-hmm. where most stone chipping would be because, you know, we've got the greatest conditioning roads down here, being yeah. sarcastic. Um, you know, it's the biggest pet peeve of most most people are stone chips. Yeah. Um, so that's what we've mainly specialised in since 1993. But with the, you know, with, with the detailing game, there's been a big evolution. Um, for a long period of time, it was pretty much nothing had changed since the 80s. You know, I, I think to when I first picked up my very first microfiber towel, and that was probably about 2001, 2002. And that was a game changer. Sure. It seems, I know it seems crazy now because just about everything is made out of microfiber. Yeah. Um, but yeah, back then we didn't have that. You know, it was just literally beach towels and cheesecloth. 
Jeez. And you were doing a lot of stuff by hand. Mm. So there was an ev- evolution of that. And then with the company, there's been just evolutions of that all the way through. You know, we got into doing uh, things like coatings and cutting and polishing. And obviously, you get evolutions of things like machines as well. So just about gone are rotary tools. People still use them. I still use them. You know, most people are using dual action polishes and stuff. So there's been lots and lots of evolution with the company. And look, I spent a lot of time working for dealerships. I really struggled to fit into the dealership mentality of being quite young. Um, when I first started out, I was probably 15, 16. Um, and it was basically, here's a bucket, here's a hose, here's a chamois, and just go spend six, seven, eight hours a day on yards to three, well, probably more like three, four days a week, mm-hmm. um, rain, sleet, or snow. I remember being at Porsche in 99 and washing down cars in the rain. I know, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense, but that's how it was back yeah. then. Yeah. Um, the mentality of things was completely different back then to what it is now. You know, if something like that was to happen, I do believe someone would probably go to human resources yeah. and say, this is ridiculous. <laughs> And there'd be a committee meeting about it. So yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's saving water. It's um, it's eco-friendly. You know, use the rainwater. Literally, I was in the classic fisherman's trawler, bright yellow jacket, hosing down Audis and Porsches in the middle of Great South Road, pouring <laughs> down in the middle of winter. Just right. it only, only increases the stabbing of the pain. So yeah, the things that we do for Porsche. Well, it was you know <laughs> so, most of the Porsches were inside back then. We we mainly had sort of, you know, first-gen um, or second-gen Audi A8s and all that kind of stuff. You know, we had all sorts of things on the yard back mm. then, 968 Club Sports, E30 M3s, um, no Alfa Romeos because they didn't really have anything too great until the horrible 169s came out. Are you still there, Lloyd? I'm still here. I'm, uh, oh, is that a oh. 159 or 169? Or one, I, think I think it's a 159 that you're talking about. Um, no, it was the larger one out of the two. It was the largest state car that they had in the early two two thousands. Um, not, I think yeah, it could have been the one five nine. I'm thinking of the one five six as well. Um, mm. Yeah, yeah. When you, you probably know you speak Alpha fluently. You moved from, but you moved to Continental as well. Yeah. What was that transition like? Because I know Continental is massive now. Are they are they the same? Giants dealership Look, company. When, when I first joined them, Tim Bailey had just um, the, the late great Tim Bailey had just sold it to Cycle Carriage or Simon Darby. Okay. So you know, big company uh, out of Singapore. Yeah. Um, you know, those guys are just absolutely huge. Mm. Um, they would visit I think once a year. You know, you smiled, you waved, you made yep. sure the showroom was completely clean. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like I used to live in Pamua, so I grew up um, not far from. Right behind the swimming pool complex was where I used to live. So um, I ended up shipped into the North Shore. Um, so traveling, you know, a 16 year old trying to get to Newmarket every day um, with, you know, back then cars were still quite expensive. Um, put it this way WRXs back then were the same price as what they are today. For oh, 93, yeah. 93, 94 WRX, people are still asking the same price today yeah. as what they were back then. So not, not, not even talking STIs, mm. you know, $25,000, for GTI R Pulsars back then. The so, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So that, that just gives you, you know, a, yeah. a rough idea, you know, uh, 
just you just we just didn't sell them. Yeah, there was just course. no market for it. You know, yeah. when um, like for example, uh, Audi S3 when that came out, mm-hmm. ninety nine. Oh, well, it's probably more like ninety nine two thousand. That was a seventy five thousand dollar hatchback back then. Yes. So you're talking gold bar money. Yeah. So that just gives you a rough idea. But yeah. the transition going from you know enterprise in the sand, which was an import slash like the new car side of things, there was very very small. Mm. Absolutely tiny. It was mainly based around used imports, right? Um, or bought stuff locally, uh, right opposite where Ford used to be on the corner there. Yep. Um, so I was around for when S15 was new. Um, yep. That was quite cool. Um, you didn't see many of them. No, um, I would imagine. Yeah, that, you know, once again, quite expensive. And you know, my boss was from a generation where, when the NSX came out, yeah, people went, "I'm not going to go spend 140 grand on a Honda." Why am I going to spend 120? You know, as bad as that sounds, yeah, you know, even it's the same mentality as the new Honda or oh, the new Acura and it's yeah, well. it's, it's, no one's going yeah, to spend 200 or 300 k. Yeah, on. exactly. It's the same principle. Yeah. Um, and you know, same with 300 ZX when that was around. That was 120, 130 thousand dollars. We didn't get GTR new. The only yeah. GTRs we did get new were 34. Yeah. And they were once again 120, 128 thousand. So, you know, no, and and that's what the the mentality of that attitude of that generation that were in there. You know. Who are probably in their fifties and sixties and seventies today were like, I'm not going to go spend one hundred and thirty thousand dollars on a Datsun because that's their attitude. Yeah, they'd rather go spend one hundred and thirty grand on an HSV because mm. it's got a V8 in it. Yeah, absolutely. Transitioning from dealership to dealership, um, and then realizing that dealerships aren't run by owners. That's the thing that I woke up to. Um, dealerships are run by two people. One is an operations manager, and two, well, actually, I should say. It's the other way around one is the accountant and two is the operations manager right it's not run by the person that has the name on the building mm. and then i finally discovered that that you know whoever it may be you know john smith motors or whatever he reports to you know an operations manager and uh, or you know he reports to the accountant and asks how things are and oh you know, it's not too not too great we need to do this and then you know he gives he asks the accountant for ideas and Sure. They then tell an operations manager. So, because I was, I was going to ask if there was quite a lot of cost cutting at a dealership, and I guess that's what you're alluding to is that they weren't willing to spend money to invest in a lot of things. Well, when I shifted to the shore, um, I took up a job with a local because I shifted all the way from Pamir to Albany. So that's a hell of a move. Um, back in the early, you know, late nineties, early two thousands, um, we did that. It was actually ninety nine. Um, when my mum moved out, um, out this far. So I got a job at the local Euro dealership here and it was literally, he wouldn't even stump out money to get a water blaster, not even a basic simple pressure washer of something that was not much bigger than a portable radio that probably would have set him back $180, $200 back then. Yeah. Um, he was just like, no, nah, they use too much water when it's actually the opposite. Mm. So... Unfortunately, the mentality of those guys, they're still sitting in what I call the big chair. Some of them still are. And I'm not trying to sound too cruel or too mean, but when those guys either literally some have passed away sitting in the chair or they've you know retired or stood down or moved on, it takes a real long time for young blood to actually get to the top. And that's why you see a lot of, a lot of young sales guys jump around from dealership to dealership now for the same principle of just trying to get up, up the ladder. And it's not so much cutting costs, it's just short arms and deep pockets because they just think, oh, yeah, um, 
slap a bit of you know silicon, you know, tie silicon on it, and give it a wipe with a chamois, and that'll do. And that's the mentality I got sick of, yeah. um, because of what you know some of the stuff my brother did and some of the things I could do. I never revealed too much to dealerships of what I could do because I know the fact that as soon as I start showing my whole hand, um, they're instantly going to be going, well, you can start saving this money, but they're not going to essentially... Pay you more. Well, the thing is, I didn't care about getting paid more. Yeah. What I cared about was money going into more technology. Right. And then when I worked at this Euro dealership, I happened to see Gordon show up with about three or four guys jump out of an old L300 and they whipped around this car in about an hour and a half and looked like a million bucks. And I just went, that's interesting. And then I ended up working for another um, importing Euro dealership in Takapuna when importing Singapore imports was that height of the thing mm. where everybody was bringing them over because they are virtually two New Zealand specs apart from the service on them is just utterly crap. Sure. There's always Volvo S80 T6s. A lot of humidity problems. Yeah, humidity problems. That was a big yeah. problem just rot and everything yeah. like you wouldn't see in like a back heater hose like in those Volvos it just always used to leak to the, the mm. interior you'd have a partially green floor in an interior so yeah. that place got closed down and then I had a job opportunity come up with Gordon and I jumped on board and the great thing is with what Final Touch has done especially with Gordon he's realised that if you don't keep up if you don't keep moving forward with it you're going to get left behind People have had cars that are all sort of fairly late model. I know of one customer we've got who's got a 2017 Golf R and he likes to use a Carnuba-based wax because he feels he gets six months out of it. Carnuba waxes, you're not going to get more than sort of three months out of at absolute best because they just don't have... They're great to use on an old hot rod. There's always going to be a place for a product like that. Just I feel on something that's daily driven. It's going to run out very, very quickly. Mm. It's just not going to last. Uh, yep. I really want to touch on that. Uh, when we did the entry piece for you, uh, you said you worked on an F1. Yep. Uh, I want to hear a bit more about that story because uh, F1 is obviously rare as hand Steve. Yep. Um, How did you come across it? Well, what the company did you the, do? The company's done two of them. Um, okay. Gordon did the XP4 from 1996, I do believe, that him and his brother did. Um, it was one of the... Um, pre-production models, you know, test models that wasn't allowed to be sold, quote-unquote. And then somehow um, the late Sir Roger Vatnagaris ended up with it, mm-hmm. and that was a car that he did back in 1996. Uh, I think he polished it roughly about two doors down from where Giltrap Audi is now. Um, right. Could have been around about that area that he polished it. Um, as for the one that I did, um, it was the one that sold for about $20 million, I think, last year. Um Silver, the silver um, F1 LM. Um, literally, all I did was touch up one stone chip. Just oh. one stone chip that was the guys were servicing it. They had it up. They took a wheel off, and they just happened to notice a small chip just on the inside of the wheel well. And they said, "Hey, can you just come through?" No photos. Drop the roller door down. Just it's one of them things. It's like saying, "Yeah, I drove it. I drove the car six feet, but I still drove it." You yeah, know, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. No, we'll take that. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. How many people can say they actually been inside and actually started and also driven a little bit of the F1? Yeah, um, you know, that, that's reserved for um, those qualified technicians only. Sure. But they were just like, hey, while you're here, can because I was doing some other stuff. Because um, cool. that stuff, you can't let it sit around. It has to be serviced. It has to be driven. It has to be serviced. Sure, I understand that. Yeah. So, yeah, and it was just literally like a tiny little trip. No, nothing horrendous, but right. kind, kind of cool. 
Now, yep. if you had a standard Corolla and you just want to get some work done, what kind of ballpark are we looking at? Look, uh, to be honest, it's one of them things where, you know, it's a bit like ringing a plumber and saying, hey, I've got a leak in my roof, what's it going to cost? Sure. You know, it could be a 70 cent washer or a seven grand section of roof. So the way I like to do most cars is, except for wholesale stuff, you know, dealerships and so forth, because they give you a lot of volume, mm. that's completely different. When sure. it comes to the private sector, um, each car, just like you know, um, just like a doctor's visit or something like that, every patient is a case-by-case basis. Every car is completely different. I've had two cars come in this week so far where it's had Clearcoat failure. With a Clearcoat, it's just peeling off in A4 sheets. And there's nothing yes. I can do about it because yeah. it's either had a repair in the past where the chemical reaction of the Clearcoat has not worked or it's basically just started to bake in the sun and sun peel sunburn essentially so there's nothing i can really do so so price, yeah it all, it all depends you know some stuff <clears throat> people might come in for half a dozen stone chips you know and that can be you know 70 80 dollars or something like that right up to for example that sabaro we've got out in the workshop um that's had a full correction and coating so you know that's going to be a thousand upwards so price varies um sure. condition of vehicle and size and all that kind of stuff so it's it's a very very sort of broad sort of question um i know there are some companies out there where their minimum is whatever it may be mm-hmm. and you know they charge upwards of you know anything up to sort of ten thousand um, dollars but that also depends on what you're having done sure you know there's so much more options now with you know things like paint protection film coatings interior coatings we did uh late last year we did a brand new g63 no glc 63s yep um and the guy wanted every single coating from the car pro sequels lineup that is on, on the poster on the wall in the back of the workshop he said i want every i coated the paint on the inside the glass inside and out he wanted the brake calipers done he wanted the wheelbarrows done he wanted the wheel faces done i did the carpet on the rear wheel arches, the only part that I didn't coat on the car was essentially underneath. But he right. wanted every single, yeah, coating for the plastic, coating for the leather, coating for the carpet. Also had to coat, for example, some of the interior trim pieces, like the black piano stuff. Yeah, the guy wanted every single thing done. First road trip, shattered on one screen. <laughs> so, right. as most how much did that cost? All that coating. Um, I think we were around two thousand dollars installed. Sure. So. But when you tick everything on the menu, mm. it's going to be like that. Yeah. So, and price does vary. It's a bit like a paint shop. Um, there'll be some paint shops that you could say start in South Auckland, and a front bumper can be you know three four hundred bucks. Mm-hmm. And by the time you get to you know North Shore, Albany, Tacoma, something like that, you could be paying up to a thousand bucks. Sure. So it all varies. Cool. So what if someone doesn't have certain budgets to do all the the correction work done? ballpark maybe a thousand two thousand dollars how can they get the car looking showroom or close to showroom on do it themselves is it just a recommendation look i like the mike phillips approach um he's a guy that's i think he's been around since the 70s yeah um possibly even the, the the early 80s he was the first man to set up a, a detailing online forum so oh, he okay. worked for Meguiar's for nearly 30 years, yeah. and he set up Meguiar's online. Right. So very, very smart man, written dozens and dozens and dozens of articles 
um, he got a great piece of advice. It could even be him. I don't know if it was, but it was the advice of find something you like and use it often. So when it comes to sort of trying to get that showroom or new show car finish, that can be very hard to do by hand. Um, it makes it because I know we're a very DIY based country. I know people really like to do cars themselves, but more times than ever that I will have a car where someone's had an attempt at it without doing any proper research. Right. Um, I know the internet is a good thing and a bad thing, and they've ended up ruining three quarters of a car by by doing it themselves. And, and that's that's what I'm always worried about. So at home, I'm like super careful not to put you know too much stress on the paint. I try not to you know, uh, be too harsh on the paint. I try and use products that are just off the shelf. Um, and, yep. and, you know, I'm, I, I try some new products sometimes as well. Um, so I, I always tell people, you know, look, I don't use a buffer at home because I just don't feel like I'm comfortable um, actually doing that because I don't mm -hmm. know if I'm taking paint off off the car as well. Yeah, I've ruined a lot of cars by uh, doing car washing and polishing incorrectly. Yep. And that whole point of using multiple different polishes and coats as well, yep. uh, that's that was definitely me. Definitely for our listeners um, who definitely want to get their car looking spanking new. My advice is look up, try and look up some of the people that have been doing it the longest. Sure. Like there are great YouTubers that do a lot of that stuff. Best way to summarize the whole podcast, I think. Thank you so much, uh, Grant, obviously, for opening up your office. Thank Good you later. for uh, Luan and Jono join, joining us as our co-host tonight as well. I think we learned so much and we enjoyed your early stories as well and how you got into the industry. You definitely would be happy to do a, a part two or, an, or another one. I think we have to now because there's so many things we still haven't talked about, right? Yeah. yeah. We'll keep you guys posted if there is a part two to this podcast, and I'm pretty damn sure there will be. Thank you so much for our listeners for joining back for season two, Twin Axles. 